Oh my god, it's been a while. Oh, I don't know how to do these intros anymore. Okay. <laughs> Hello, oh, yeah, guys. I'm the host, and you're just interrupting me. Do you want to be the host? Oh. Okay. Hello guys and welcome to the Michael. <laughs> Just let me do this intro, man. Hello guys and welcome to the Spin the Wheel podcast. You might be Start thinking, again. who's this? Who just piped up? Is in fact Michael Wilson returning again. Uh, Michael, two days ago we said you left, and now you're already back with the soundboard. Why? <laughs> That's the only soundboard you'll hear from me today. I didn't prepare the other one, but yes, the king has returned, as Rafiki would say. Lion King, great film. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I've, I've been, uh, spoiler alert, I've been enjoying some Doctor Who in the time we've had off. Some classics, some new, so yes. we'll see what I thought. Yep, it's been a couple of weeks. And today joining us uh, again from our Series 1 episodes, my personal favourite, Episode 6, Dan the Peters, Dan Peters. I don't know what your Twitter oh, handle is. Oh, no, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. It's a bad handle. It's a bad handle. I remember you I mentioning that last time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, thanks for having me back on and um, for this madness. But yeah, really happy to be back on. <laughs> this madness, I don't know if that's a joke or a dick. <laughs> just noticed as well that looking looking at the restream, uh, everybody look out for Tony Blair because we are WMD, so he will be looking out for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you guys have been looking at the Twitter uh, the, for the podcast, for the Heal Miss podcast back in the day, uh, you may have seen that we had originally intended for three or four, I believe it was three more episodes of Series 2, but of course it was cut short unfortunately. Uh, last week we had Toby on, he was meant to be in a previous episode, but he came on for Spin the Wheel and of course Stan is today. And before we do go into the main review, I'm sorry that it's taken this long, uh, we're going to be recapping very briefly, maybe five minutes, what we think of the episode we were actually going to be reviewing if we were on Hill Miss. Uh, so, Michael, would you like to do the honors? I know it's your favorite episode. Well, it's one of your favorite episodes. <laughs> it's it's not it's not really my favorite as such, but it is an episode I adore, um, which is the Doctor's daughter we were going to cover. Um, yes. And I, I watched it back with trepidation because I explained to you I did something similar where when the, when I first watched a random story, Asylum of the Daleks. Um, I, I was like 10 out of 10 best thing I've seen at the time and then yeah. watching it back I was like oof this doesn't hold up particularly well it wasn't terrible I think I went like 8 out of 10 instead of 10 out of 10 Yeah. Um, and when it came to the Doctor's Daughter I watched it and was like everyone nobody I know really praises this story so let's see if it you know if it was just uh, rose tinted mm. glasses at the time and I still absolutely loved it <laughs> I've got to say um, it, it wasn't flawless I can't say it's a 10 out of 10 because and again, I've, I've talked about this to you offline, Will. Mm. I just can't believe how unbelievably cheap the sets were that they were able to use. And yeah. uh, the idea of using half a dozen soldiers in what looked like a school assembly hall <laughs> <laughs> to represent another yeah. planet's like army. I was like, oh, that really lets down, a, a, in my opinion, a really good script. And then the yeah. same, uh, the, the only other niggle was at the very end when they're talking about how... Um, oh, look, it's only been a week since this has been constructed by these robots. And I was like, what robots? You obviously couldn't afford to show them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a lot more now, uh, criticisms I will get into that I'm sure you'll disagree with. Uh, but you were just saying, you uh, you know that a lot of people dislike it. Will Dan Ooh. Peters be the exception to that? Dan, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Dan Peters, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> well, I would say um, that this 
Oh, I don't want to say this, but I, I think um, it's probably one of the one of the weaker David episodes. Um, and I'm a massive like David fanboy, mm. um, so so I, I I like basically his whole era. Really, there's there's nothing that I this even fear her, which is clearly the weakest for me. Mm. I still love that one, um, but yeah, uh, there's a lot to like about it. Um, I think that the cast are great. I um, like I like Freema and um, Catherine, and I think that works really well. Unfortunately, I, it's annoying that they're split up for so long as well because you sort of yeah. want them to, you know, to be together as a team. I think that's um, necessary, though, to be honest, because we've seen. Yeah. This is a disagreement I had with Will. We've seen what happens if they're not all that split up in the Chibnall era, and it just doesn't yeah, hugely yeah. work. So at least it's economical with the way it uses uh, the companions. No. In my yeah, opinion. I understand that, yeah. Um, I agree, um, but like I said, probably the best part for me is uh, when David delivers the sort of the end scene, um, yes. and that's just phenomenal. Yeah, um, I think he amazing piece of acting, um, uh, and you know that that's the standout for me, and I think for everyone really. Um, yes, uh, and the the with with him holding the gun, and you're thinking uh, even though you know he he wouldn't he wouldn't do it, he wouldn't shoot the the guy uh it's still it's still like a really you know intense moment so yeah really, well, really good the usual naysayers on sort of twitter and stuff <laughs> have said to me in the past like oh he has done it before so you can't say that well again <laughs> to those people i say it that's not necessarily what i respond to and this is my version of the doctor that i respond better to yeah, which yeah. is like a man who never yeah. would yes you know if you're going to litigate 50 plus years of the show yes there's been times the doctor has killed i'm not saying that this isn't yeah. a Zack Snyder Batman <laughs> argument. I'm just saying I respond better to the kind of, you know, he's got every reason to want to shoot this guy in the face. And yet he's <laughs> like, no, don't do it. You, you know, Again, I must reiterate, that. Michael, it's not a psychopath. Michael, you do not mean that, do you? <laughs> you do not want no, to shoot I, people. I, no, I, no I, I didn't mean that. I meant the Tenant's doctor at that point, his, he's just bonded with a daughter he was kind of standoffish to for, you know, well, 45 minutes, but let's just, you know. <laughs> yeah. with a suit that was a little bit longer in real terms but he's just accepted his actual kind of blood key in his daughter she gets shot dead so it's kind of like yeah it's not good but it's understandable that emotionally he's gonna want to shoot this guy yeah. and mm. you know it's one of those things where if it went to court you'd be like yeah maybe manslaughter i can kind of understand the emotional <laughs> justification um but yeah it's, even still like i said it's more powerful when he, that he yeah. doesn't and it's my favorite part as well but i think i agree the cast are great i think freema freema surprised me because one of the things i didn't remember was how good she is when um Half Peck dies to save her in oh, some quick sandling. That's it's one really of the heartbreaking. That's one of the worst oh, yeah. moments. <laughs> yeah. Again, yeah. I've got to disagree. Yes. Yeah. I also, um, yeah, just just quickly to finish okay. off, as I said, love love the cast, love the story, and everything. One thing I didn't realize and felt really stupid about was that at the very end, um, Jenny kind of comes back to life. People know about, you know, she wasn't going to, and Stephen Moffat talked, I think, RTD or whatever into it. Um, but I always assumed she regenerated, and she doesn't. <laughs> I felt like I could have sworn full on Mandela effect that I'd seen the regeneration effect, but it's not. It's the source thing that they've just used is what actually yeah, brings yeah. her back, which is why obviously she doesn't change appearance or anything. And I was like, how did I not pick up on that at the time? Oh, I thought that was regeneration energy. Like she didn't regenerate, no, it, but you know, it doesn't look like regeneration energy. It looks exactly like the the thing it from does, the globe. Okay. They... Are you ready to hate me? No. Why? What's up? <laughs> Okay, I think Georgia Moffat, or however you say her name, is absolutely wasted in this. Uh, I think it did too much for 45 mm. minutes, and she was only there 
just to have one-liners and smile. That's all she did. I Ooh. think uh, Martha, it's, it's, that's what happens. All she did was funny one-liners and she smiled. Oh, look at me, I'm cute. Nice, cool. Oh, look at my chemistry <laughs> with David. Fantastic. Uh, I think Freema Anjuman was really bad in this episode. I think she no. was much better in series three. I've mentioned Strong. this in the previous episodes. I think I've said this before. Some actors can cry, some actors can can't. She did not do it convincingly, in my opinion. Oh, I don't uh, agree there. Okay. <laughs> and then I think, um, again, it's controversial. Well, it's not controversial. I know this isn't a generally loved story. But that being said, um, I think Donna Gorman-Nerves, uh, Catherine Tate, uh, was oh, just there for the references she just said oi, oi, and then she had a really great in voice the whole time and I just went get oh just stop why Such are you there uh, and then I think the sets were pretty uh, contrary to what you said I disagree with the sets I think it was actually pretty cool and they utilised that for quite a funny joke to be honest uh, so yeah the sets were pretty cool as an episode goes it's middle of the road uh, I didn't particularly connect to it, many of the characters. Um, unlike you, I do think this is very crowded. I think it introduced about seven characters or six characters that were meant to have some kind of feeling to. And uh, yeah, like I said earlier, it had too much to unpack in 45 minutes. And I think the shooting of Jenny came way too early into her life and it just kind of like, it was a death, like her blam, it was like a death for the sake of a death. It was it was too early, and I think you can't really say that if she didn't actually die though. It it would have benefited. <laughs> That's a fair point. It would have benefited from being a two parts to just to flesh out the characters. I'll grant you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with a couple of your criticisms. I agree with you that they've tried to fit a lot in, which I think worked. I think they managed it. But yes, you, you're right. There could have been enough there to fill mm. a two parter. And I do agree with you to a degree about Georgia Moffat. But I do think you're kind of overlooking at least a couple of kind of key things. Again, it's very rare to get character growth in 45 minutes, and I responded to the kind of, I didn't kill him, I could have, but I didn't, you're right, I had a choice yeah. uh, kind of moment. I think that's a really yeah. good and very important scene, uh, which, you know, obviously in 45 minutes you're not going to get much, but she did a lot with what with a little, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. That being said, yeah. it's kind of... Sorry, Dan, it's... Yeah, sorry. Oh, <laughs> too, but I was just going to say... Um, I, this is the same criticism that Luke did for uh, the woman in A Good Man Goes to War Who Dies what's her name Lorna Bucket and then he didn't connect with her so he felt nothing for her when she did eventually die in that in case I did connect with her because it gave her quite a lot to do it gave her character she had the priority she had stuff like that going for her I'm with Luke on that one <laughs> okay but then i'm with luke for this one it's just i did not connect with jenny as much as you have evidently and i'd probably give it like a five and i know andy i'm just going to relay his score he gave a 5.5 out of 10 uh dan do you want to go next any thoughts um um well i would say also listen yeah. to uh jenny the doctor's daughter the um, big mm. yeah because that's really good um and, okay. and her her character's fleshed out a lot more she has a lot mm. more to do she has she gets a companion uh so yeah brilliant stuff okay. from that i think has it, have any of you listened to any of you? i've I got know it's very it popular. but i haven't listened to it yet i got it on one of those free um mm. locked downloads but again yeah, yeah. <laughs> i haven't listened to it and should have <laughs> yeah it's good it's good um but probably overall um seven out okay ten. Yep. Possibly 6.5, 6. maybe. Ooh. Reasonable. Just, I'm just going to say it now. You're in line with the fan leaderboard that we did for the last series. Uh, so, Michael, outlier. 
but not that like is this your opinion what are your thoughts or like what's school well i was i was embarrassed but then i was like you know what i'm gonna be honest and if people don't like it they don't like it it is my it is what it is it's yeah. my thoughts my personal score was 9.5 okay and that wraps up the brief like i said it was going to be brief a doctor's daughter and who knows we may review it properly in a future episode now let's start with a bang hypothetically not literally uh <laughs> we have uh kind of i said this earlier shithouse this a bit uh dan you said your notes were out of order or like messy and then me and mike just mine are in order i've actually done this. it exactly as you said <laughs> i've done it by category like you told me to so i've i've been a good I, boy I, i've done it by category but it's it's all over the place it's like not coherent it's just yeah <laughs> it's not that's what this episode is going to be i'm sure yeah basically yeah uh, let's hold it together with a string. Can uh, I just introduce us if we're going into the review? Uh, I lied about the soundboard, by the way. Are we let not me, introduced? Me, okay. Let me just introduce which episode we're doing. Okay. What about me? I saw the fall of Troy, World War Five. I pushed boxes at the Boston Tea Party. Now I'm going to die in a dungeon. In Cardiff. In Cardiff, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and if you hadn't already guessed, it's un- un- the Unquiet Dead, should I say. Ooh, this is an interesting I, I, story. When I was a kid, I thought it was the Unquiet Dead. <laughs> the I'm not quite dead. into that. But that works as well, doesn't it? So. <laughs> that, really does. That, does, that would be a fantastic kind of parody title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, from the, <laughs> some of the reactions on Twitter, so I remember Mike taking issue with one particular reply that said, uh, the threat doesn't happen until the very end. And it's just like, at the start, that you have these people that the are credits. alive. And then, yeah, the pre-credits, the pre-credits, pre-credits. You literally yeah. have a ghost coming out, emerging. And I think that, let's just talk about, it. like, we're not getting chronological. We may as well just have a casual discussion. The effects, mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah. I think so. I mean, um, it's it's kind of hard to go wrong in terms of you're just doing gas creatures, so it kind of limits how much you you can do badly, I guess. Mm. Um, it's almost easier because you don't really have any frame of reference and it's so ethereal and so weird. But, I mean, the effect, especially when I read about the episode, the effect of when the Gelf turns from blue to red, Yeah. Um, when they kind of reveal their true intentions, apparently that wasn't, uh, wasn't in the script or anything and they didn't do that the mill until the very last minute and we're like actually we could do this to give a clearer indication and knowing that that was kind of a last minute thing I was like that's probably my favourite effect in the whole thing mm. actually as well which is weird and I think I do believe it actually went over budget with the special effects I'm surprised I didn't know that so it's like if they're over budget why would the mill even put even more pressure on themselves just to change the colour if they're over budget but maybe that's just a BBC thing and the mill just you know got their money Run with it. Yeah, well, it's, pretty, it's very early in the show. Maybe they were just trying to impress uh, the producers with what they were capable of. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, Dan? Uh, yeah, I would I would agree. I, I think this this is one of the, the main effects from the first series that sort of, uh, that actually looked quite good and hold up. Um, yeah. Whereas things like, things like the Slovene, maybe, maybe <laughs> don't. Um, but yeah, it's impressive. Mm. It works very well. Yeah. They, they, they're, quite, they're quite scary, really. Particularly the well, when they're actually in human form, 
Let's go. Yeah, I was going to say actually, yeah. Yeah, but that, that was a thing I forgot to mention is that um, I was talking about it because my mum is a huge fan of literally just pretty much series one of New Who. <laughs> She's like some of the early tenants, but she loves Christopher Eccleston's era. So I asked her her thoughts and she had said like her primary thought was how surprisingly scary it was when they, the sort of zombies were roaming about and stuff. Yeah, and I was yeah. Like, yeah watching it back, it's kind of weird because we just did... Uh, Mummy on New Express like a, a couple months ago and there was all kinds of talk about the mummy was too scary to show in trailers and the episode had to air later and I was like I don't think it's any scarier than the zombies that are in this episode and it went out at like 7 o'clock on a that Saturday. That being said this did get a lot of complaints again I looked this up did it? and okay. it did get a lot of complaints from uh, parents saying this is too uh, scary for our children. But talk it's about literally it. zombies it's so yeah. weird <laughs> they, they got away with it in a way. But just well, to get back to Dan's point um the effects in series one these hold up massively even compared to the best this series has to offer like father's day i think the effects in father's day are not the best at all like i think is it the reapers they look pretty cool they hold up better than the crudotines but what i'm saying is like the invisible entity in the sky this isn't a father's day review of course but the entity in the sky all it is is just a camera like maybe just in the tree and it just add a red filter onto it and we're meant to be like yes this is a reaper and i think this is such a better rendition and i and i can see where the budget gone it, it i will uh, i will quickly say though having just watched terror of the autons uh, without remembering to put on updated special effects and the fact that that episode ends with <laughs> the worst possible special effect like the big culminating ending of the nesting coming to earth through two big satellites and it's just it's a light show and it looks ridiculous yeah. i was like what the heck am i even supposed to be looking at so at least the effects in 2005 were slightly better than they were you know a few decades earlier in 71 yeah doctor who's never been known for his effects really has it even in series five they weren't particularly the best they always try though i mean plus a good a good enough story you know you forgive it we talked already on the podcast about how i forgive the bad effect in the ark in space because i just like the episode so much but yeah uh, Again, it's hard to get past the fact that it's a dude scared that his, his arm's in bubble wrap, which we said. Yeah, uh, let's not go over that again. Okay, <laughs> the uh, the Unquiet Dead. Right, what else is there? I do not have notes, so please, guys, just to start guide, me. Actually, uh, guide me. I've actually got a structure, so I will I will jump in maybe, and uh, you can piggyback off my notes if you like. Absolutely. Um, so the very first thing we, we talk about, according to yourself, when you sent me the things as the TARDIS team. Mm. Uh, and I had said, well, the, you can't talk about the TARDIS team without discussing Rose. Uh, and I think this episode does a fantastic job about capturing Rose's wonder at the idea of time travel. Uh, obviously, yeah. she's traveled to the future, but this is to the past. And one of the thing, one of the moments I love most is the director's decision to kind of capture her footprint in the snow of the past and yes. kind of actually taking the time to do that. I really love that. And the fact that she's kind of, um, oh, I got it a bit wrong, I don't care. <laughs> it's not, you know, 1870, I don't care. It's not Naples, it's Cardiff. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> a good joke, but it's also, you know, the fact that she's so thrilled and everything is cool. I uh, watched this, half, sorry. Oh, sorry, I watched this back-to-back -back the other day with um, The Beast Below, just to see how they both compared, and I didn't, well, I didn't do it intentionally, but they're, they're, both, they're both the first episodes where they actually go off world kind of like just away from where they are in time period kind of stuff and the similarities are stark they are clear as day and i think um in terms of wonderment i think the unquiet dead or unquiet dead whatever you whatever the title is it's the unquiet, unquiet dead, dead right <laughs> yeah they're not quite dead 
I think it does it quite a bit better. The Beast Below is, is still a really good story, uh, but I think this eclipses that, and I think that's mostly down to the direction. I think the direction was fantastic to echo what you just said. I should have looked up the director's name because I think he actually did do a really good job, but I, I didn't, unfortunately, I'm afraid. I don't know who was it, it was. Um, er, was it Errol Slynn? I think it was actually. You better was get Harrison. this right. I'm gonna have a quick look. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw his name when I was researching after watching the episode because I always go back to Tardis Wiki after watching. It, it just was Yoris Lin. Yoris Lin. Yeah. Yoris Lin. Yoris Lin. Yoris. She's cool. a currency. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's weird that you mentioned the Beast Below actually because I think. Uh, that, that's kind of the reverse of my criticism of this episode which was the other half of the TARDIS team being the Doctor I thought was a little bit of a dick no offence in this episode um, but I, I didn't love the way he was kind of well if you don't like it get out you can't understand it you're no good to me it's a new morality Rose get over it I was like dude you know ease her in a little bit at least mm. or whatever <laughs> and it's it's funny that you mentioned the Beast Below I haven't watched it recently but even I remember that like kind of the Doctor in that is very much like, you, this is terrible what you're doing to this star whale and I have to put it out of its misery, but then I, even I won't be able to call myself the Doctor. It's terrible. And it's weird how that weird, like, reversed morality is, is present there because, yeah. I, again, I respond better to Matt Smith's kind of, I've got to try and be kind and be nice and everything, as opposed to Christopher Eccleston's keep up or get the fuck out kind of attitude, you know? <laughs> I think they were both fantastic in the respective episodes, Matt Smith and Eccleston. Like, I made the point on Twitter, or I actually know other people made the point on Twitter, and I think it's kind of started like a conflict, and I think you actually replied to one, Mike. It was like, the Doctor isn't nice, like, a lot of the time, and I think I made a tweet the other day. It was like, Matt Smith shouted a lot during series five it was like almost every episode he has some kind of conflict and i think if these people how do these people gravitate to series five matt smith the most i know he's ruggedy he's like a well arguably his best series i know mike you disagree um but it's like he is this grump and eccleson is the same and again to alluded to father's day he shouts in Father's Day, he shouts in the Aliens of London, uh, he shouts in The Pawing of the Ways, he shouts in uh, other episodes. I think, I think that, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm very aware that I'm talking over, over Dan and I'll give you a chance. But just, <laughs> just to quickly respond though, there's moments in almost all of those episodes where you could say the opposite though. Because yes, they shout oh, course, when, yeah. when, when needed to, but at the same time there's scenes like the scene in Father's Day of the Doctor, like I, I will try my best to save you, I've never had a life like yours, or mm. the Matt Smith, uh, Matt Smith's Doctor in Series 5 in Vincent and the Doctor at the very end. You know that, that that's what I gravitate more towards. Yes, there's moments when they shout because you know it's it's a full life, and you can say that there's every doctor has if they're played well has shades of uh, you know from one extreme to the other. I don't think the doctor's ever been unfair, uh, but I think in this episode, Eccleston leans towards it, but saves it by apologising kind of immediately afterwards. Uh, in a couple of the occasions especially when at first when he's like dang it Dickens keep up if you don't like it then he does go out and he's like look I know it's a lot to take I apologise but try to open your mind it's like this um, the only thing I didn't like was the kind of rules just let them use the corpses of your people it's new morality get used to it and I was like yeah, yeah. I, I kind of could have lived with <laughs> I said <laughs> it with Bruce yeah 100% and maybe yeah. it's just like him being the alien he doesn't quite understand us but then again he did apologize and i just think uh 
it's dependent on how you characterize the doctor and i think it is like uh everyone is suffering in their own ways in the sense that i have my perfect view of the doctor uh dan mike you probably do as well and it's just like we want to see certain things from the doctor and when we don't we think ah but then we have to remember he is an alien he's not meant to be a reflection of our views per se of course, and I mean, yeah, yeah. you've heard me argue the toss about, um, again, not to get into it and litigate it, but the whole kind of like, how dare the Doctor not respond to Graham about his his fears and say they're socially awkward, and it's like, have you been watching the show? That's exactly what the character is. Uh, it's it's uh, completely alien. I you don't know? think we've actually spoke about that scene, but I just want to say, uh, okay, I know you have strong thoughts. What I'm going to say is the episode is, the central focus is about talking. It's about opening up opening up and coming to terms with stuff okay and what at the end of this episode graham has this lovely kind of uh speech about his uh stuff that's been happening since uh he was introduced his cancer obviously and stuff like that and then the doctor it was such an i think most people i'm just saying oh it's tone deaf i'm just thinking at least for me it's more of a wasted opportunity to have that nice moment between the two to acknowledge it because i think that's something that people really criticize uh, criticize about uh, ryan's dyspraxia and i think okay it's been brought up but the doctor was so dismissive when he wasn't uh, she wasn't so much with ryan even though it wasn't brought up that much and i think that was such a wasted opportunity just to have a nice moment and that's where i take issue with that scene I don't see it as dismissive. I see what you're coming from, and it is, it's clunky, and it's not fantastically well-written, but again, um, not to get too deep, but having recently been diagnosed with autism, yeah. I always thought of the Doctor as kind of an autistic-coded character, and there are times when it's kind of like, somebody will say to you, can you even imagine this horrible thing that I'm going through emotionally, and you kind of have to say, no, but I'm trying, you know what I mean? So, yeah. That, yeah. It, again, it's not phrased brilliantly, but I saw it very much like that. But again, that's wildly off topic. Yeah. So. Uh, Dan, do you want to say, what do you want to say? Yeah, I, I was just going to go back to, uh, that's nine. Um, mm. I'm just saying nine now. Um, back to uh, Eccleston's Doctor. Um, I feel like maybe the time wars changed him as a person. So he sort of distanced himself from that's sort of humanity, from humans. He's got a bit cold. Um, Cause you see that throughout the series and then it's almost like Rose um, sort of, you know, makes her better, him a best, better person. Absolutely. There's that scene as well that uh, feeds into that at the very end when he thinks he's going to die and he says, Rose, I'm so glad I met you. And you kind of, you yeah. feel it in, in that line. Absolutely. I, I couldn't, I kind of agree with you a lot actually on that one. Mm. And that's the same with um, when when the um, idea of uh, like the girl using uh, dead people as like hosts um, when that's you know basically the doctor's sort of for that and doesn't see a problem with that. Whereas from most points of view and probably from most people's most people's points of view mm. watching it, that's clearly not right. But it's, it just shows like how the doctor's moral compass is maybe a bit different from what we know later on or earlier um, yeah. and how he sort of changed from yeah. the wall. <laughs> it's fair enough. It's I got, just I got very deep there. Got very deep there. <laughs> no, that makes absolute sense. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> Again, I'm not saying that's not a valid sort of thing. I just, I don't like the yeah. kind of different morality no, yeah, view of the doctor. Um, one thing I will say though, okay. just my, my last note about the TARDIS team is, is about the Doctor and I will say that for all the slight issues that I have, 
I think Eccleston's interaction with uh, with Callow playing Dickens is fantastic. Whether it's the kind of funny things about what was that American bit? It's rubbish. What's a fan and uh, <laughs> love all your work and all that. And his his kind of fanboying around uh, Dickens is is brilliant. Mm. Uh, pitched, I think, absolutely perfectly. So I will give him that. I thought you said you were my fan. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a line. Shall I throw him off the coach, sir? No, 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 let him say it. <laughs> There's a lot of surprisingly good humour, which, yeah. uh, again, my mum always says, oh, series one I like because it's funny. And it's like, it's surprising watching back how many sly little jokes there are in there. Yeah, yeah. also some of the lines, some of the lines throughout, like, um, I love a happy medium and stuff like that. <laughs> was brilliant. That was so bad. <laughs> and also when, um, yeah, when um, Charles says, what the Shakespeare? Said, oh, I love that. Dickens. It makes no sense, but I love it. some great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> Uh, talking about that, uh, Gwyneth at the end, uh, about back to the moral dilemma very briefly, how the doctor just kind of accepts it. And this is going to kind of side pedal into my comment about Rose, uh, how Rose just looks at the doctor at the end, uh, just before they do go back to the TARDIS and they have that nice ending. Uh, after the explosion, uh, she just looks at him. And then what, what does he actually say? Does he apologise? He explains the situation and he, he explains it as well as he can, which is that um, mm. the exact words, Rose, I tried, but she was already gone. She had been for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a fantastic really good scene, actually, because then Rose responds with, well, I don't understand if she was gone, how could she? And then it's Dickens who has come completely full circle on the kind of weird and says, uh, yeah. actually, I, bear with me because I may actually have the... Because I, I will butcher it otherwise, so I think Dickens says... There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy. Which, uh, again, awesome character thing, because it's like complete, you know, oh, th this can't be real to, I understand now, and you've opened up my eyes. It's just a shame the character or the actual real person died like a few months later, which uh, mm -hmm. kind of sucks. If I ever get to meet you in real life, I'm burning you soundboard. <laughs> it's not even a soundboard. I actually downloaded legit clips to my music folder this time. <laughs> well, I say goodbye to your laptop. It's on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have anything left. It's on my phone, I promise you. Uh, Oi, shush. Okay. Okay. Uh... Hunter's McCoy, uh, is this? <laughs> <laughs> and I want Couldn't to kill what is, What's going on? I don't know. Yeah, neither do I anyway. Mike, no more samples. <laughs> Sorry, I'll put it away. Coach <laughs> um, is the laptop. Where is Mike gone? It's on my phone. I told you the sounds are on my phone. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, Dan, please head us into yeah. the next category. What have you got written down? I, is it Psycast? Yeah, Psycast, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Order. I was going to say uh, Simon Callow. Is brilliant, isn't he? Um, yes, that was my exact per perfect casting as Dickens because I think he, I think he's um, like been in theatre and, and played Dickens before. Yes, I think he has. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I thought he was brilliant. He was a he was a laugh. Um, he was he's very theatrical. He's been in theatre a lot. Um, so yeah, perfect casting. And also, it's amazing to think that even at this early stage in series one, they get like acclaimed stars. Yes. In like Penelope Wilton, Richard Wilson, and Zoe Wanamaker, and people like that. Because mm. uh, people, you wouldn't have known what it was going to be like, whether it's going to be a success even at this stage. Yeah. So it's, it's good that you've got cast like that. 
yeah, because this guy, he is a uh, an expert, quote-unquote expert, of Charles Dickens, which isn't a surprise, oh. because if you play a character a lot of times, you're going to naturally kind of research. And if you do resemble that character, you'll be like, you yeah. know, oh, I might become an actor and I might play this character, let's learn stuff about him. And one of the main uh, draws of him going into this episode was uh, the characterization of him by Mark Gatiss. And I think the way he does uh, kind of Mark Gatiss weaves it into like uh, his philosophy of the world not being right because he's now being exposed to aliens I think that was all fantastic and that just kind of incorporates Doctor Who really well into uh, an historical I think this is one of the best historicals there is in the show at least the revival yeah I would probably agree I love the bit at the end as well with um, you know Rosie was already dead in no time but we've kind of given him He's more alive now than he'll ever be. So it's, you know, he doesn't say it, but the unspoken thing is at least he'll have a few kind of months of life of of feeling better rather than the kind of depressed, uh, lonely man that he was at the end of his life, which is a really sweet kind of fantasy. fantasy, But yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. And while we're on Psycast, Eve Miles, of course, she was going to appear in Torchwood. Here's a question. For either of you, I don't know if any either of you will know. Uh, was she cast in Tortured as a direct, I- I directly influenced by this performance in this episode, or was it something completely different? I honestly don't know. I, I, uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I would assume she auditioned uh, as usual, and perhaps they were just like, "Well, it's a happy coincidence," but I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it must it must have had an impact because she was really good. Um, yes. And obviously, we have loads of Tortured um, people in series one. Yeah, yeah this this episode's kind of like a pilot for Torchwood in a lot of ways. Cause yeah, the first, the first mention of the Cardiff Rift and stuff that would become like important to Torchwood as mm-hmm. a as a structure. I'll be honest, I didn't uh, in previous watches. I didn't gravitate towards her character a lot, but this time around, I thought she was very, really bloody fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, any other notes for Psycast? Yeah, for, it's all just positives, really. I said that it's surprising how sort of small. The side cast is the only other character of note was uh, Gabriel Steed, the Undertaker. But I do mm. think that performance is a bit more arch, but it's supposed to be. And it's kind of, um, you know, as if you can imagine somebody who's having to chase corpses from his funeral home. Um, <laughs> I think that that's pitched fairly perfectly. So I think he also is good and uh, he gets a chance to be developed. Unfortunately, he is, you know, killed at the very end. But I think that's very typical kind of Doctor Who as well because uh, yeah. you've got to, you've got to have some kind of Star Trek red shirt killed off to give you the stakes and I think it, it was always going to be him uh, unfortunately and then obviously Gwyneth is the surprise kind of death at the end as well yeah I do recall that actor being in Endeavour so if you've never seen that I do suggest that he was pretty good in that it wasn't a massive role but he is a very talented actor is uh, what's his name Alan Davids who played Gabriel Sneed and Gabriel Sneed, he was a decent side character, but I think he was definitely outshone uh, by the performance yeah. of Simon Callow as Charles Dickens, 100%. Callow was just exceptional, mm. yeah. I can't say enough good things about that. Yeah. There was one scene towards the end where he has this kind of monologue, and I think would he have benefited from like a different angle? Uh, like, not as in a cutaway. We were doing cutaways today. Um, where it's just like we're uh, it's dwelling on this one camera angle for so long and he's got this like page of dialogue to speak we did not benefit just to switch it up a bit so it didn't just seem like he was speaking to the character uh, to the audience and i think he could have benefited from that personally i didn't i didn't notice to be perfectly honest fair enough i think he did put a lot of heart into it that's undeniable 
Yeah. I, I, I didn't notice it. I can only assume it was perhaps to give him his spotlight moment, yes. maybe, but yeah. Then I again, I just really... think it could have benefited from another angle. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the the side cast now. Was there anyone else? Mrs. Peace. The only the only other characters are that are referenced because I looked at the credits are mm. the ones who play the zombies who obviously don't get speaking parts. Uh, so that's Mrs. Peace, and there's a, a gentleman character as well. And the only other character is um, the stage manager who talks to Dickens, the incredibly Welsh bloke who has about two lines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's it. Oh, that was that was quite a depressing little scene. Like no one to spend Christmas with, and I think he played this role pretty good for what he was given. Again, it was only two lines, but I think he he played this role. If we're yeah. gonna check out phrase out there, he did. The strongest thing that I can say about that character is that I was just struck, even in an episode set in Cardiff with all Welsh characters. I was, I was like, my word, that man is Welsh. <laughs> yeah. And um, Mrs. Pierce like terrified me because I, I remember <laughs> when, but yeah, when I first watched this um, on first, first broadcast, I couldn't get past the uh, pre-credits because it was uh, the the first scene when she's coming, she's walking down the uh, walking down the road. Yeah, uh, yeah, straight into the camera. Yeah, properly freaky, and the bit where um, she's in the uh, theatre as well. And yes. I, I like that they have those parallels. With, he, he talks about um, the fact that that was part of what, what was it? The, it was the, when um, the, the, moment at, the moment at the start of a Christmas Carol when the door knocker apparently just yeah, yeah. Uh, gradually mm. smoothly becomes the face of Marley, um, which then you do get a reference to because one of the Gelf kind of comes out of the door knocker of the uh, Sneed funeral home as yeah, they're getting back at the end. It's cool. And it's really, it took them a while to, to notice that she was in, she was just there. Yeah. <laughs> like, it took them a while to realise, right, maybe we need to get out of this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, speaking of the villains, when uh, Rose was trapped in that room and they all kind of emerged, I think that was a really creepy, really creepy, really effective scene. And mm. I think it just um, showcased their scariness. I, I didn't know where I was going with that, <laughs> but I think that was a fantastic yes. scene. And I think Eccleston, contrary to the ethics of what Mike you said, you don't gravitate towards it. I think Eccleston really smashed it in this episode. Yeah, I mean, fair play. Um, it was only that one little little niggle about it, but yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, the other thing I was going to say is that yes, you're absolutely right, Dan. Um, which is why I, I mean, I'm open to hearing any kind of criticism, but when I heard that person, Will, that you said was like, oh, I just don't think the threat happens till late in the episode. I'm like, that's nonsense. It's <laughs> it's the pre-credit scene, and it's terrifying. Yeah. How can you possibly say there's no threat set up there? It's a zombie for crying out loud. Yeah. But uh, yeah, other than that. Um, a lot of your criticisms I can kind of understand and a lot of your responses to mine I kind of understand as well. Um, it's it's very niggly kind of things that I'm, that I'm talking about, but yeah. You were you were talking about the threat anyway, Will. <laughs> yes, well, if you want to type out of this, I can do that, in fact. Um, by that tweet we were on about, and yeah. I can quickly just run through some of the feedback that we did get about this episode. Uh, I didn't expect many replies to this tweet. Uh, Dan, do you want to have any guesses at how many replies this tweet got? Like me asking for the score out of 10. Uh, 30? 73. Oh, wow. I, I was like, Jesus. I'm not going to go through that. I won't go through every score like now. I'll, I may do that at the end. But I'll just go through some of the ones that actually gave some uh, feedback about the episode. Uh, Gibby said, definitely one of Gaius's better episodes, but not one I could ever properly engage with. I engaged with it a lot better this time around. I think it's just to do with a rewatch, maybe. I think a lot yeah, of people well, I... should just rewatch it. 
I'll throw in the note now that I put that I also, again, said that this is easily marked as his best episode that he's written for the show. Um, I'm not yeah, counting definitely. an adventure in space Sorry. and time, because that's not a Doctor Who episode. But yeah, in terms of Gators' Doctor Who episodes, this is easily far and away the best one. I would argue Cold War with that. Cold War is pretty it's, good. Cold War's good. It's not as good as this, if I remember right. But I haven't okay. watched for a while. Maybe for future episodes, uh, Melissa said it was Mayor. Best part was I'm a big fan. In what way are you a fan? <laughs> you, a, a device to cool oneself. I <laughs> <laughs> mean, fanatic. Like I really like it. Or it's just like in the previous episode we did of this uh, podcast, episode one, we were speaking about Richard Mace's character and the way they speak is so similar. It's like the the shining light in these episodes is always uh, the same kind of character, and I think it's just a formula that works. Mm. It's just, yeah. uh, it was really good, uh, Simon Carroll. Um, it's engaging, and this is Phil Clements. It's engaging and nicely spooky, and it works well in a series that's still finding its feet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Crimson yeah, I also Horror... do love the, I do love the fact that they decided to do that with the structure. I know it's not specific to this episode, but I think it was genius to do one day to introduce you to the show yeah. then the future then the past yes um which is obviously yeah. why they did it kind of again <laughs> a few times because yeah. i think it's clever to do it that way mm. well contrary to what we all said uh phil says but crimson horror and robot Shield are better mark Gates episodes in his opinion he picked the two arguably worst ones right there but okay they're the most average i wouldn't say particularly bad to be honest uh Hanny said it's not one of my absolute favorites but it's an enjoyable episode kind of emotional in places and it does well to build on rose and the ninth doctor's relationship mm. again spot on uh if you do hear rain in the background it is pouring down here uh i can't hear it okay and again i'm only going to go through a few more and then we'll get back to it uh game troller prime said underrated historical but not one of his uh not one of the best in my opinion in his opinion i'm with you will i actually think it's probably the best historical um although I'm, I'm, I'm probably i'm probably forgetting something that i love that's just not coming to mind but, winston and the oh, doctor uh oh, see yeah. I, I love the end of that but that there's a lot of flaws in that as an overall episode the threat is weak source in that episode <laughs> again i don't see it as a problem because that was his link into his mental health i know I of course that, it was like yeah. a budget it was a budget reason but or maybe it wasn't it maybe it was intentional to have the uh, thing being invisible it's like his he sees he even has a monologue in near the end where uh vincent sees that other people doesn't about the stars and the starlight yeah, and i think it's just a beautiful right, an analogy yeah that's fair enough yeah this um, talks are really good uh final one i'll just go through this connor said it's a great and enjoyable episode and the gelf against charles dickens was a great watch not one of my absolute favorites but one of the high ranking ones uh they gave it a 6.5 and they also said and the revelation to rose about being able to die in the past was really great too mm. that that was weird that struck me as really odd because I, I thought that would be to me in my sort of brain that that was common sense in a way um so i didn't quite understand rose's yeah. point there i understood the point of like well we know the gelf can't invade and take over because my world was there in 2000 that's fair enough but uh, it's like obviously you can die and then still be born later yeah. and then travel back to where you would then die i, I mean, don't know <laughs> when i was still when i was watching that i was still kind of confused at the concepts even though i've watched modern who a ton of times and classic all the way through so i thought 
okay, I do need this explaining to me one more time, very slowly, yeah. like I'm a two-year-old. Uh, Denzel Washington reference there, Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, but did you guys notice uh, there was a reference kind of foreshadowing Forest today? Again, we're, I'm bringing this up. Yes. Uh, yeah, deliberately. About uh, the dads, um, yeah. With a, yeah, with the dad. You're thinking about it much more often about him much, much more, more often, often which yeah. and then they kind of hint in father's day that that's exactly why rose went specifically when the doctor yes. mentioned they could travel in time that that was always her intention and that just links into is... the relationship it was bond building and it was just like yeah. the deceitfulness like i did i of course i'm too young michael you're too old uh, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> fuck you <laughs> dan he hits the sweet spot he's in between right, he, here we go. I mean, yeah yes I, I wouldn't take that as a compliment if I were you, to be honest, considering his old age. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's now fuming at me. No, he's left! Oh, he's no. left! Oh no, I accidentally clicked him off of the stream. Oh, I wonder what happened if I clicked this button. Oh, he's back! You, you yeah, that wasn't even me, and I made a quality joke <laughs> while like, you couldn't have possibly heard me. <laughs> So I, would, I would have responded, but I was trying to work out how to use this newfangled internet. It's just, no, it's got me baffled. I don't know. <laughs> okay, uh, but I was going to say, I wasn't uh, old enough to see this episode at the time. But I was. Uh, we know, we know. Uh, but even just looking back now, just uh, looking at that little reference, that little niggle of information, that little nugget, it's like they were foreshadowing this, and I think that's... Like series one had the bad wolf arc, but you mm. can still see there was a bit of an arc with Father's Day and Rose wanted to go see uh, her father. And I think there is another reference here and there in other episodes. There's character and emotional arcs as well, just in terms of the. I mean, not even just this series that works throughout the Doctor and Rose, which is of her, like you say, bringing him back to humanity and uh, recovering from the Time War. So it's not really an arc in the sense that you you know plot information, but I think it gradually is her emotionally uh, opening him up I guess that yeah. sounds really weird yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know what I mean I'm not talking yeah. literally <laughs> oh dear but I think it's kind of bad that uh, I had to bring up Bend over, doctor. simple <sighs> character development and say that's a knock no like any good uh, show has to have good character development no, and that's not a yes. knock you say that, but that's, again, perhaps this is showing my age, but that's quite a recent thing in modern television because it used to be that back in the day, television was very episodic and it was kind of, you can have an adventure, but everything has to be back the way it was at the end of the episode because we can air them in any order we yeah. want to and viewers have to be able to tune in week by week. And, you know, so they can't, by, by nature, there can't be growth and there can't be character development because every episode has to have the characters start and end in the same place. Don't make me now... make a Flanders reference, Mike. <laughs> that was in, in, with Dan as well in his episode. Oh. <laughs> Super sexy Flanders. That's infamous. Yes. Infamous. <laughs> it made our best moments compilation, by the way, that we uploaded the other week. <laughs> it's so funny just looking back. It's like, it's a good episode anyway of the podcast, and then it's just that moment, and I just burst out laughing. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, guys, please guide me. What else have you put down? Uh, do you want to take this one, Dan? I, I don't want to talk over Yeah, yeah, I haven't. <laughs> okay. I will have a look. I, I was going to say um, that the script feels very much like a Mark Gator script because he's, he's sort of into that sort of horror almost hammer horror stuff if you yeah i mean this yeah same exact note yeah he loves his um i don't remember what they're called now but there's a specific kind of christmas ghost stories um thing that that's uh 
you know, it, it's it's a tradition going back, yeah. you know, to the 18th century. Uh, and I know Gatiss loves those. He's written some for recent Christmases and everything. And you absolutely do get that Gothic horror sense from him. And uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, by the way, there's a fantastic, uh, on a similar note, a fantastic documentary series about Mark Gatiss talking about the history of horror in film, uh, starting from, I think, the 30s and then going to present that. day. Uh, it was on BBC Four about a long time ago now, probably about seven or eight years ago minimum. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you, if it is available and you have a chance to seek it out, I recommend it. But again, sorry, Dan. <laughs> yes, Michael Schuss, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, because it, it feels like this one was sort of like a Christmas special, but without the Christmas. It was more just a gothic. It's like it's not at the Christmas, yeah. Yeah, but it didn't feel festive, did it? It was like, the very end, it, the very end, it almost tried to shoehorn it in with the kind of yeah, it's just the, last, the the last God line. bless us, everyone. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say um, the time war. We got references to the time war. You sort of said that, um, but you forget that early on in this, this series, this would have been a brand new thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it would, it would have been cool to be a class of watch classic series and coming into this. Yeah. And find find this such an interesting idea. And uh, it's so fresh, and it, yeah. you know. Um, Off the back of that, I'm just going to say, Michael, mm-hmm. I've joined uh, your side on this, on a, another oh, issue. Yeah. The Timeless Children, I now kind of accept it. <gasps> yes. It's like, okay, Day of the Doctor, fantastic episodes, I think we can all agree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of, quote-unquote, retcons, uh, hmm. A lot of these references, like I, I yeah. went onto the EW, uh, EW, uh, whatever podcast, and I literally said uh, with Chimnall what he's done, uh, like uh, Doctor Bean from Gallifrey. You have to kind of just brush off what Chimnall's established if you just want the same emotional uh, input for that uh, particular moments. And I think this is exactly the same with Day of the Doctor. Day of the Doctor does something different. Uh, to what's been woven into the show for so long and I think you just have to accept it and you just have to uh, move on and you have to just like okay Thomas Children I still don't think it's the best idea Uh, likewise I don't think uh, Gallifrey coming back was the best idea but I think it narratively makes sense but it just makes some of these scenes less impactful if you can't separate it and I still, if you can separate it, I separate it, and I still really enjoy both stories, and I love the both directions Moffat and Russell T Davies went with. Yeah, and I, I completely see your point. I mean, any any show evolves and it's going to progress, and it's not, you know. Uh, again, I'm fortunate enough to have watched it before the kind of retconning happened, so it's not like it ruins it because I had that first experience. But I think as much as he gets crap, I think Moffat scripted it quite well because yeah. uh, the Doctor, as far as he knows, did still do all those things. Uh, because of the whole matter of, you know, you won't, until you catch up, which will be the kind of 11th Doctor uh, hitting that episode, you will still think you destroyed Gallifrey along with the Daleks. We can't change that. Um, So the emotional kind of impact on him hasn't changed at all. It hasn't gone anywhere. But it does mean that the character that you kind of don't want to have done those things did find another way. It's just that he's going to take a long time to get to be able to emotionally unburden that i guess yeah. um, and it's still yeah. you know it's, it, it doesn't take away the fact that the time war still happened and all these kind of the the protein planets of the autons and the the, the physical form of the gelf and stuff that crap would have all still occurred yeah. exactly so. D- don't get me wrong i still don't like the time of children as an episode just because if they have the doctor i had this other story if it was like i'm going to destroy uh gallifrey 
and then at the end, it's like, oh, I'm still gonna destroy Gallifrey, but suddenly I don't. That's what the Timeless Children was, and it's like, I'm going to, um, this, this Timeless Children stuff, and it's like... Your issue with the Timeless Children, though, is something that would make it absolutely hated by the majority of the fan base, because your issue is that it didn't actually screw continuity and stuff up enough, like it didn't have enough of an impact, and there'd be people who would hate you for making that argument. No, but, no, 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 no. the point is, if Chimnall goes nowhere with it, I just have to beg the question, what was the point? If Chimnall does nothing I, with it now, what the hell was the point in... I have to assume he's not going to do nothing with it now. You don't do something as big as that just for the sake of it and then brush it off. And the fact that it still came up in Revolution of the Daleks means that it's it's going to be undercurrent to everything. It's got to be. But I, I mean, got, I'm I with you. If, so. if it's brushed off and completely ignored, then it's like, well, what genuinely, what the F was the point in that case then? Yeah. But I've got to believe there's a plan in place. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Unquiet Dead, I believe we've said that about five times now. Sidepilling back to that, uh, Dan, you are saving grace in this episode, mate. Uh, do you have any other notes? Uh, um, I, I noticed that uh, the guy who played Welp Sneed was meant to be um, a younger character. Oh, really? Um, and apparently David Tennant was up for the role of Sneed. Oh, wow. <laughs> that would, that would be, yeah. They were originally two characters as well. It was Sneed and his wife uh, slash maid, who then just became fed into the character of Gwyneth. Um, she kind of became both of those things combined for economical storytelling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently they were going to be a young couple, Mr. and Mrs. Sneed. Mm. I didn't know that. I think uh, the line that uh, Rose said about the hand, the wandering hand or something like that, that would have been less impactful if oh. it was a young person, but it's just covered a very yeah. dark subject. I didn't like that line at all. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, that, it, just, sure. it just brings in the humanity. It's going to be talking about it for another 20 years as to why you should hear everything kind of line, you know what I mean? It's just it's unnecessary. <laughs> I, you, like... you think that is unnecessary? Yeah. Because, again, it's one of those things where you just know it's going to be litigated to death by Twitter and it's going to be like, well, this episode features a sexual harasser in it, so you can't like it. And it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> I'm just so we tired. We know your thoughts about human nature, Mike. Don't panic about that. Uh, Dan, sorry, go. <laughs> yeah, I feel, feel like it was trying to work out what it was. Like, the um, producers were trying to work out what audience it was for. Like, mm. older, you know... A, young adult audience or maybe young so still at this stage mm. of series one you get those little bits of, it can be really it can be quite dark yes. and then you have a farting Slovene and all that <laughs> but like but like there's a mixture isn't there I think it's it then becomes slightly lighter would you say um, later on there's still but jokes and stuff that's the thing that I, I completely yeah, agree with you and yeah. I think that's exactly it that they don't totally know what they're hitting because they have a lot of those jokes and whether it be you know the, the ones that I particularly like, which are like the kind of the Dickens jokes and the what the Shakespeare, uh, yeah. to the more the more just ridiculous, you know, Christmas cracker jokes. Like I love a happy medium, um, but then as you say, there are surprisingly dark moments in there when you look at it as well. Um, but I think again, that's a hallmark of kind of horror, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You've got to have yeah. those lighter moments to balance it out. I think uh, Mark Gates had to turn it down as well because it was meant to be more mm. full on. I, I can't remember how, but um, there was. Maybe there was, I think there was a bit more of a background to um, how the, some people died and stuff like that. So mm. it was going to get quite, I think Mark Gates had to be told, like, turn it down a bit, because it was going to get yeah. quite uh, gruesome. Yeah. 
then the other way around so about the foreign aliens in the next episode i still yeah, think exactly. that's first of all really good i think that that two-parter coming up next really good two-parter i think it is really over here just because it is foreign aliens but even though it is foreign aliens late like, for the kids it's funny for them it's still got a lot of horror stuff and the way the first part concludes with them all being electrocuted that is really dark and i think every doctor who episodes to date has really dark uh moments and then also really light moments like dark water that bloody hell that's one of the darkest episodes of doctor who but it's still got some comedy in there can you hurry up please or i'll hit you with my shoe that's a fantastic <laughs> line <laughs> Uh, Mike Silence Sorry, everyone, disagrees. Sorry, a shouting Scotsman. I didn't realise there was a match on. <laughs> <laughs> I was just literally saying a line from Dark Water that was a joke, you get? No, it kind of <laughs> cut out. It cut out. Oh, I, I was saying you that you were saying that Dark Water is really dark, but it has jokes. And then I was like, uh, "Sorry, everyone, another Scotsman raving in the street." I didn't realise there was a match on <laughs> from that particular episode. You know? Yeah. Uh, for me, some of the dark stories the best. Like. I, yeah. I love uh, I go on about it a lot but I love Waters of Mars Turn Left mm. like all the all the dark stories tend to be the ones that fans gravitate towards and like yeah. To, do you think? I think you can you can have darker stories that still ultimately end up quite light though because like again my favourite episode of all time The Ark in Space it's a shockingly dark story when you look at it and yet it has such happy notes about you know the human race being indomitable and it ends on that note of hope and you know there was humanity left in him and we'd be able we've been able yeah. to revive the human I, race but i, I again, still it's, agree it's the movie alien until that point i, st I still agree with dan cinema though that we do generally gravitate to the darker episodes at least i do uh personally and i see a lot of people do like series seven what's the darkest episode in your opinion like name of the doctor maybe and i that's one of the most uh, well that is the, i i've in my opinion the most praised episode from that series and it's the darkest like in series eight what's the darkest story in that one you could argue flatline flatline is quite dark dark war is quite dark and these are really acclaimed stories and again wars of mars uh what else in series four the stolen earth these are all dark stories and yet they're the most acclaimed blink that's, to an extent yeah, that's one of those things though isn't it people gravitate towards you know their own thing that they like and uh i mean even the people that make the show that the the what's it called the hinchcliffe era the kind of season 14 where yeah, it was yeah. almost all kind of gothic horror um and you know a lot of people did respond to that a lot of people love it it's not my personal favorite i prefer the kind of early season 12 uh, tom baker stuff to the you know we're going to do a horror movie character every episode stuff but everyone that's the, the beauty of doctor who is that it can be everything you know anywhere in time and space so jokes on you fun. my favorite episode is fear her <laughs> oh so you just enjoy crap <laughs> oh, wow dan said he loved our story the other uh the other minute like now you're dissing it wow you disrespect he said it was overheated i don't oh. think he said it was his favorite episode no you I said, said it was my least favorite yeah. you still said you loved I... it no oh, maybe... VAR, okay. VAR. Maybe... even fear her which is clearly the weakest for me mm. i still love that one Maybe I did, maybe I did, but I still, <laughs> I still think it's it's one of the worst. Well, it is the worst aided one. It's, oh, it's not great, really. I'm, uh, I'm going to have to run in like 10, 15 minutes, but I only have one other bit of notes to say, and it's on the threat because I've said everything else. So shall <laughs> I jump in with that now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I've just said that yeah, I, th I thought the threat of the the threat as it was the kind of um, the Galt is really cool it's an interesting idea that they are kind of like you know that they're the victims at first or they certainly play that uh, it, it could be a complaint that they kind of turn into cliche quite quickly when it's like no it turns out they are an invading force conveniently and uh, 
the morality of worrying about what to do with them kind of goes away but at the same time i also think that's necessary for the script it's kind of hard to see where else it could have went yeah. um and the only thing i do want to bring up is a criticism that i do not agree with but it would be i would be remiss not to mention it um so i was going to say that there was a reviewer who claimed this this episode's plot was anti-asylum seeker and that the gelf represented like people coming to to ask for help to your country or whatever and then it was trying to say that all these people are just opportunistic and they will eventually try and take over and it's evil stuff and i think that's ludicrous uh frankly i don't think that was the intention of the writing at all uh but you can't disagree with people if they see that in there i i uh, can see so, the parallel absolutely but i don't think mark gates did that intentionally no yeah absolutely not but again it, perhaps you could argue well maybe he should have written it you know with with that more socially conscious in mind um but again yeah. i don't think i, I didn't that, not only did i not pick up on that i think it's ridiculous i don't think that was what it's trying to say yeah. i think that part of it was literally just the science fiction we need an enemy to deal with kind of thing yeah so yeah that's really all i've got to say on that i think the threat not the greatest thing of all time but definitely as good as this script could have potentially given okay is that how you want to wrap up your review uh, no, I can I can wrap it up though if you want. I've got a few sort of last minute notes Go for uh, it. to say. Kind of the conclusion that we used to do. Just would say that yeah, uh, chilling, surprisingly scary, really funny in moments. There's some brilliant acting throughout it. Simon Callow, I think, is the MVP. Uh, as as I've said, I think it's Gators' best script. It does the historical thing and the first trip to the past really really well. Mm. Uh, and I just think it's a brilliant sort of 45 minutes of uh, science fiction drama. Uh, do you want my score? <laughs> uh, of course, yeah. And my score was 9 out of 10. Okie doke. Dan, any final thoughts? Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you have a score? Okay, yeah. I've said um, overall I've really enjoyed this. It's one of um, the most over, one of the most overlooked uh, episodes of that series, I think. Um, uh, it's got a good creepy atmosphere. Um, Charles um, Dickens was great and really well cast. Um, and it sets up... Um, a lot for the future of the show including like things like the time war and although the time war was mentioned before we get a bit more of an insight into it and also the rift so it's sort of sets up torture inside isn't it mm. um overall seven out of ten i would say okay and once again i've winged it so i do not have a conclusion and i am the obviously the main host here dan you i have been the host in this uh you've been a joy again thanks for coming on uh oh, thanks so much. yeah uh Again, pleasure speaking with you. I don't know why I'm saying nice That's things. Fine. I'll just not even at the end. It's, it's, it's so I'll nice. Just, I'll just sit over here and play with my freaking self, will I? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going in that direction. With Mike, if he's if he starts on something, he's gonna finish it. That's not an innuendo, Mike. Don't worry. <laughs> my score is an eight out of ten. We oh, have exactly in the middle. Oh, I knew I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Saren and an eight. Uh, the average is, of course, an eight out of eight, ten. Yeah. I think that's fair. I, uh, that compares to the five point five we gave the visitation, I believe. Uh, so yes, but before we do go, I'm just going to spin the wheel now. You guys are just going to have to trust me. OBS is picking this Ooh. up. So um, and this is for the next episode, which is going to be you, me, and Brian Cox. No, it's going to be you, Andrew, and Brian Cox. Me, yeah, okay. I was close. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you had three names to remember, my God damn it. <laughs> We've okay. been talking up Brian Cox so much, and we're finally going to actually have him on yeah. the show next week. You've been chatting up Brian Cox. We've been talking them up to the audience. <laughs> you know what I mean. Spin that wheel. Woo! Woo!
Oh, what a mm, die. That's the land on. I'm on tenterhooks, Will. This is so tense. Tell me. It trickled. It trickled from Sleep No More to co-owner of A Lonely Heart, <laughs> which is Michael's choice, and it is, of course, an episode of We definitely of have class. to take co-owner of A Lonely Heart, then, clearly. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> Michael, I'll pick you up I mean, at they were both my choices, in fairness. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on again. Thanks very much. It's been Michael. It was a surprise probably for the people watching this. Where can people find you and how are you feeling? Well, it was definitely a surprise to Brian Cox because I didn't even tell you I'd done this and you probably don't know, but I basically updated the um, Hit On This Facebook page. So it is now the Spin The Wheel podcast Facebook page with all new graphics and everything. And Ooh. I posted just your statement without proofreading it that you posted to Twitter on the Spin The Wheel page, which started with, um, you know, due to the departure of Michael Wilson from the podcast and I'd been talking to Brian and getting his episodes and I got a really panicky uh, Facebook private message from him that was just like are you still on this podcast what's going on I'm supposed to be on the episode and I was like yes I am we're just keeping it a surprise yeah. but I'm still uh, going to be turning up for the odd appearance here and there so don't worry I'll still be there for your episode and once again I guess choice has not been picked it's just been everyone except from the bloody guests so apologies to the future guests uh, and also the past guests. Thank you guys, and I'll see you in a bit. Cheers for watching. Peace Bye, out. take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>